Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now this evening is the 39th sermon in our sermon series on Luke's Gospel, which we began uh, one year ago on this first Sunday of January. And this evening we're going to examine Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. That's page 867 in your pew Bible. Now we saw how the Galilean ministry of the Lord Jesus reaches its climax in his miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's here that the Lord Jesus in John's gospel follows with his teaching that he is the bread of life, the bread of heaven, that he is sufficient provision for our salvation. No matter what we've done, no matter how dark the sin goes, Christ is sufficient. And then there is the utter satisfaction given to people. The miracle of Christ's supply also means for us that he is sufficient for any need in our lives. Again, the Apostle Paul declares this in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. There is nothing the Lord Jesus will not do to enhance your ultimate well-being and satisfaction in the grace of God. He will withhold nothing from you that is ultimately good for you. The Savior is sufficient for anything you face, whether it be a bereavement, a broken heart, loneliness, rejection, or depression. This message of the supreme sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ is the final word in his great Galilean ministry. So it's at this point, this turning point in the gospel that we see the ministry now being over, that the Lord Jesus turns toward Jerusalem, where he will be betrayed and endure the bloody cross. It's here that Luke sets the outline of the teaching that is to follow in a summary. It's a summary of the life of the disciple of Christ. There is a juxtaposition of who Jesus is and why he came with the life of those in union with him in his death and in his resurrection. In other words, this is discipleship explored. Now, a lot of cash and resources have been dedicated amongst American evangelicals to answer this very question. How am I to be a disciple? How do disciples make disciples? There are numerous consultants, parachurch organizations dedicated to this one goal. Yet it seems interesting to me 
that the actual hallmarks of a disciple and making disciples are quite simple. They're here in our gospel reading this evening. The three hallmarks described here for the first time are the hallmarks that bring us into his presence in glory. We are to give a true confession of the Lord Jesus. We are to embrace the good news of his glorification. In other words, in his passion, death, and resurrection. We are to follow him putting to death in ourselves our sinful attitudes and actions, and rather to seek him to clothe ourselves in his righteousness. This is the summary that we see here in Luke's gospel. Now let's examine that first one, to give a true confession. Now, what we hear in this preface to Peter's confession is the typical combination of two influences that may affect us. The first, the apostles recall what they and others have seen and heard. Jesus has indeed made deliberate reference to the prophets Elijah and Elisha in the course of his ministry in Galilee. Elijah at the start, Elisha at the conclusion. So it's no wonder, is it? that people thought that Jesus was Elijah returned, as the prophet Malachi had promised. It turns out that others may have assumed that the report of John the Baptist's execution was a false one. As cousins, we could even speculate that there may have been a physical resemblance between the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist. Both preached the same message in a call to repentance because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. There was still more recalling God's law when speaking of Moses as the prophet whom the Lord knew face to face. Perhaps the Lord Jesus was a prophet like Moses for all the great miracles that he had done while in Galilee. Now the second influence is in what we see by what has been taught to the people. That makes the summary of Peter's confession. Now the rabbis taught that the Messiah was a superhuman being who would overthrow Israel's enemies, regather God's earthly people from the four corners of the world and make Jerusalem the center of the world, establishing the perfect reign of God on earth. We heard this in our reading this evening from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. It's found in all the prophets of the Old Testament. You see, Peter's confession showed that the apostles had come to believe that Jesus was the anointed one Israel had been waiting for from the time of David. For Christ is the Greek translation of that Hebrew title, Messiah, meaning the anointed one. Peter was the one who said it, but they all nodded and murmured their agreement. Jesus was the long-awaited, God-given hope of salvation, their deliverer. Now, can you see what is missing from the teaching they have received? It's there in what the Lord Jesus teaches them next. 
You see, Peter has answered rightly. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But what is lacking? What is lacking is the scandal of the cross. Peter and the other apostles did not understand all the consequence of the Messiah's coming. They had not been taught the whole counsel of God from the Old Testament scriptures. They knew what the prophets said. They heard this from the rabbis in synagogue and week after week. But they forgot what the countless sacrifices in Jerusalem had told them. A perfect sacrifice. A perfect high priest was required. A death was necessary. The transference of their sin to another was still to take place. What we think about the Lord Jesus is everything, isn't it? I mean, millions who follow Allah in Islam believe Jesus is a prophet perhaps the greatest prophet alongside Muhammad, but their miss has an eternal consequence. They miss eternal life. Now, some believe the old liberal theory that Jesus is the product of wishful thinking, a construct of a common humanity or society, the embodiment of the best in human aspiration. This is the postmodern understanding of Jesus. This, all of our values, all of our morality go into this fictional character. But perhaps the most common view in America today still is that Jesus was a good man, even the best of men, a great moral teacher. Now, C.S. Lewis reminds us in his book, Mere Christianity, that of all the views of Jesus, this one is the most impossible. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. But what about the many Christians who have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus, but remain unaffected? I have often thought that the reason for the cross and the command to die to sin and to live a new life in Christ is so easily forgotten is in the way it humbles our ego and so glorifies God and his grace. We don't like it, so we tend to forget it. We must understand, my dear friends, that he is the Messiah, he is God's Son, who came to us in human flesh and was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, thus paying in full the penalty for our sin. And now he reigns in heaven. And one day he will judge every human who has ever lived. 
to be there with him. We must believe this. We must rest our lives upon the good news that our Savior here embodies in our true confession. Who do you say that I am? You are the crucified Christ in glory. And that brings us to the proclamation itself, isn't it? Uh, In verses 21 and 22. Now at first reading, it would be sometimes thought to be contradictory to make a confession as Peter has just done and then be told to keep silent about it. But we must remember when we are in the course of Jesus' ministry. To have heralded throughout Judea that Jesus was the Messiah would have incited a political revolution, not the spiritual revolution that the Lord Jesus had come to bring to completion. Though he is being very specific to the apostles here, that their proclamation and the global scope that it will have to bring the call of salvation throughout the world comes after the resurrection, after his ascension, when Christ claims his kingdom and his reign at the right hand of God. Now notice the connection between a true confession of who Jesus is with a faithful proclamation of what he came to do. In other words, what happens here in this proclamation and glorification are connected together. You cannot have one without the other. A true confession's consequence is a faithful proclamation of the Lord Jesus, his person, and his work. A mistaken confession's consequence is a confusing mishmash of human opinion and hearsay that will only lead people more astray and further and further into the weeds. Who Jesus is and why he came cannot be pieced together by human intellect, but only by the revelation of God in the scriptures. It is only through God's electing grace that you and I have even come to know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is so humbling, isn't it, to realize that it is all down to God's gracious election and our human ego and achievements must be put away. And rather, God and God alone is glorified on our lips and in our hearts. The cross, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is a scandal, a stumbling block, for that is what it means. To the Jew and foolish to the Gentile. The world, you see, my dear friends, cannot comprehend the necessity of the cross. It's no wonder then, is it, that the apostles could not understand it as well. Jesus, the Son of Man, a title he uses from now on in Luke's Gospel to associate with his rejection and his humiliation leading to his death, would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. This pronouncement by the Lord Jesus was so completely foreign 
to the apostles' concept of the Messiah that when he died, they were disoriented. They were devastated. Not only had the Messiah died, but he had died accursed, hung on a tree. This is the first time that the Lord Jesus teaches the apostles the reality of the cross that stands before him. We see it again a little later in chapter 9. And then finally, just at the end, before he actually enters into Jerusalem and the triumphal entry, he tells them once again the truths we see here. And in that final time, we read again how the apostles didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. They never accepted what Jesus had taught them of his true purpose. It did not fit their picture of what the Messiah would be and what he will do. Notice Jesus mentions his resurrection here too. But that event was totally beyond their understanding to such an extent it was incomprehensible until it actually happened. They knew that this was the Messiah, but his words were madness to them. Although the twelve did not know it, proclaiming Christ always requires confessing a suffering Savior. The bad news in explaining why he had to die, why his death was demanded as our substitute, is what men and women reject the most, isn't it? Yet for those who believe, whose conscience has been stirred to realize how thoroughly lost we are in our sins, so that only his atoning sacrifice can deliver us, we cling, we cling to this bloody cross. We glory in it. There are countless hymns throughout the history of the church of God that stand as testimony in the glory, the wonder indeed, in the cross. Here's one. I take, O cross, your shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory all, the cross. So my dear friends, when we start to put these links of chain together to understand the structure of the life of a disciple, we see that when we confess Christ, we embrace his dying on the cross for us. But we also, therefore, accept the reality of the cross for ourselves, for we are united in him. This is not a question of having us, through some effort of ourselves, to somehow put aside these things alone, but rather because we are caught up in the beauty of his love for us, shed in the blood of the cross for us, that we find our affections and our hearts turned toward him. And so we voluntarily give up the throne of our lives when we renounce our self-centeredness. It is not 
done in some way through human effort alone, but rather the beauty of what he has done for us embraces all that we are. We used to say in my younger days in the 1970s in the youth group, if he isn't Lord of all in my life, he isn't Lord of my life at all. So what are our crosses? Well, they're not simply trials or hardships. We can't just think that an unfair employer or an unfair teacher as a cross, nor can we think of illness or disability as a cross. Our crosses are the result of deliberately walking in Christ's steps, embracing him, embracing his life, pondering how my identity is now in him. My identity is now in him. It is not my choices that establish who I am, but rather who he is establishes it for me. Therefore, we have a real sense. We have died with Christ. And our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. As Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. So that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. So we put to death what is earthly in us. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, self-centeredness, covetousness. We put on the new self in Christ. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and love. This is the logic Jesus shows here. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, and notice, for my sake, will save it. The peace of Christ rules in our hearts. The love of Christ dwells in us richly. For we have put to death in us each and every day those earthly things that died with him on Calvary's tree. For in the end, be encouraged. For the Christian is the most free person in the world. We are free from the wrath of God. We are free from hell's damnation. We are free from the curse of the law. If you confess Jesus as the Christ truly, it's a no-brainer to cling to his bloody cross as our hope. Our focus remains there. We must take up our own cross by putting to death in us all that died with him and rising to new life in him. Now C.S. Lewis also wrote, in Surprised by Joy, a wonderful story. It's when he was a young student. He arrived for the first time in Oxford, and when he left the railway station, he turned the wrong way. Now, by turning the wrong way, 
he was walking out from Oxford instead of into Oxford. And he writes that as he walked away, he thought to himself, well, this wasn't much of a, of a place at all. He was unimpressed by the buildings that were getting worse rather than better. And the storefronts that didn't look like much to him. It was only when he started to see open country that he realized his mistake. Until he writes, I turned around and looked. And there I saw behind me, far away, never more beautiful since, the beautiful spires and towers of that wonderful city. Then I knew where I was. And he concludes by saying, this little adventure was an allegory of my whole life. Indeed, my dear friends, it is an allegory of all of us in the Christian life. How often do we turn away from Christ and seek another way of our own striving and choosing? And by the grace of God, it is instead by seeking him, by turning to the beauty of Jesus Christ, seeking him in his word, so that your trial of the moment may be lost in his loving trial for you. Then, my dear friends, the cross is no scandal but rather a thing of beauty. For in it, we are made beautiful in him and readied for glory in his presence forever, perfected in his love. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.